Hi, and welcome to Daring to Leap. I'm your host, Lori Phillip. Today, the incredible Jennifer McCollum, CEO of Linkage, joins us to unravel the complex world of women in leadership. Join us as we face down career hurdles from proving your worth to the nuanced art of delegation. If you're looking to step up your leadership game or find new ways to tackle career challenges with grace, this episode is your guide. Let's dive in. Jennifer McCollum is on a mission to create better leaders and workplaces, particularly by advancing women and promoting inclusivity. Her journey has taken her through organizations like Coca-Cola, and she has made history as the first female CEO at Linkage. With over 25 years of experience in leadership, she has a unique talent for crafting powerful visions and inspiring teams to turn them into reality. She's an accomplished speaker and consultant and the author of, in her own voice, A Woman's Rise to CEO. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you, Lori. It is such a pleasure to be with you today. Yes, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited because I interview so many inspiring women, entrepreneurs, executives, leaders, and experts on a variety of topics. But I love that we can sit down together as you're a current CEO and talk a bit about that and your lessons along the way and some of the barriers that you are seeing right now in the workforce for women and how maybe we can get past some of those barriers. So let's go ahead and get started. I'd love to hear just a bit about your journey. How did you end up as CEO? Well, it was a, it was a long journey. So I'll give you the very abbreviated version yeah. of it. I actually started my career and I, and I had a, a very big career shift kind of like you did. But in my 20s, I was really certain I wanted to be First in the media business, I wanted to be Mm -hmm. a broadcaster. And then throughout the course of my postgraduate work, I was actually on the other side of it in in the corporation at the Coca-Cola company in the public affairs and communications function. So I was good at that. I was traveling all around the world. I was doing press and media relations for the Olympics and the World Cup. And it was it was a pretty it was a by all accounts, externally, people thought I had the best job in the world. Mm-hmm. But there was something deep inside of me, and this is, mm-hmm. kind of figure this out in my mid to late 20s. I wasn't, it wasn't purposeful work for me. Mm-hmm. I was good at it. But when I looked out, and this was at the Coca-Cola company, and I saw professionals working with the executives and the leaders and the teams to make them more effective, to be better collectively than any one of us could be individually. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what it was called at the time. It was the leadership and organizational development work. I was so intrigued by it. So through the course of my 20s and 30s, I shifted my career. Coca-Cola helped me do that to become a leadership consultant. I was an entrepreneur. I had my own consulting firm for eight years, consulting back to the Coca-Cola company leadership coaching, team effectiveness, Mm -hmm. organizational vision and strategy. And I loved it. And then I spent about 15 years working in publicly traded companies 
building and running businesses in the leadership space. Mm -hmm. So helping clients all over the world create better leaders. And very slowly over time, I got really clear of what I was good at, what drove my purpose and passion. And I ended up over the last five and a half years or so as the CEO of Linkage, a company whose purpose is to change the face of leadership. So it was all of my leadership experiences, building and running and growing leadership companies, but really honing in on that focus of how to advance women and to mm -hmm. create more gender equity in the workplace. And that is very much on purpose for me. Yeah, what a beautiful journey, Jennifer. And what I resonated with this so much because I had a similar sort of moment, series of moments where I, I realized what I was doing in my career, although looked great on the outside, as you mentioned, didn't feel purposeful for me anymore. And I'm curious, sometimes when we get those inner voices that it's kind of tug at us a little bit, like, oh, there's something not quite right. How did you pause and listen to it instead of just say, ah, it's good. I'm great. I'm on this path. Let's just move forward. What, what helped you start to really pay attention to that voice? You're hitting at something really important. And I think all of us have access to it if we can pause and reflect and be, be honest with ourselves mm -hmm. and to create some self-awareness. So again, I was in my 20s traveling around the world doing these incredible global events. And yet deep down, if I was honest with myself, mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to spend the rest of my life getting more and more senior roles in the communications and public affairs space. And yet my colleagues did. So mm -hmm. I started to notice there's a little bit of dissonance in what is bringing me passion and purpose and what seems to be bringing them passion and purpose. And that started an exploration. And I actually write about it quite a bit in the new book mm -hmm. because it's we, we call it the hurdle of clarity. It's, it's sometimes it's easier to know what we don't want or what we don't like, whether it's a boss or a partner or a job. Right. And I knew, I knew something wasn't right, but I didn't know how to find what it is that would bring me joy and would mm -hmm. bring me passion and would be aligned to purpose. So here's what I did. First, honor and acknowledge the dissonance. My current reality does not seem to be aligned with my vision. I'm not sure what my vision for my career in this point is yet. Then I started doing a lot of, of exploration. I'm not sure what this thing is, but when I see people, and it ha I happen to have access to them at the Coca-Cola company, when I see people operating with teams and leaders and organizational effectiveness, it's lighting me up. I, I don't have the expertise. I don't have the background. But I started talking to them. At the same time, I started pursuing other paths. Well, what if I were to get an MBA? Because then I could shift my career. And I started to explore that. I took the GMAT. Mm -hmm. But when I looked at the curriculum of the MBA course that I did get into, there were things like quant and stats and economics and financial modeling. And, and it was kind of important work, but it was soul-sucking. When I looked at the <laughs> when I looked at the curriculum, I thought. That's not drawing me. It's not driving me. So I started to spend more and more time with the things that were drawing my attention until I could get clearer and clearer about what I wanted to test. Very luckily, 
Coca-Cola had a program. It was an 18-month program that could help me turn into a leadership and organizational consultant. But I found that because I got really intentional and clear about what I wanted and really honest about where I was today. It's so important, Jennifer. I, we don't ask ourselves enough, what do I want? It's very easy just to go through the flow of life and, oh, this is the next step that's right in front of me, or this is the path that I should take based on what society is telling me. And what I found to be true for myself, and I'm curious, and I think this is likely true for you, is that when we do start to listen to that inner voice and what do I want and getting really clear about it and then start taking steps forward in that path, we have such a big opportunity to let our brilliance shine. You mm-hmm. saw where you loved that kind of work and you weren't, I guess, quote unquote, qualified for that yet. You had some skill gaps to fill. But there was something in you that knew that that's what you wanted to pursue. And now you're here as CEO, the first CEO of this company that you run now that is focused in this area that back then was just an idea. Well, and I'll even go a a step further there. At that time, now remember, this was nearly 30 years ago. I couldn't conceptualize at that point becoming a CEO of a global leadership development firm. What I could conceive at that time, and this is why it's so important that clarity and finding clarity and evolving vision is an iterative process, right? And so it's actually something I do very, very regularly with a group of people that can support me and we support each other in finding that clarity. So back then it was, my clarity was around, I want to move into this type of work and I want to do it while at the Coca-Cola company. So that was what I did over the first couple of years. Then they, they, it's a long story, but they, they decided to outsource all of the people who had this capability. They didn't want to hold the cost mm-hmm. um, inside the organization. So then I had to get clarity all over again. And I kind of raised my hand and I said, if, if I start, this is kind of like you, if I start my own business mm-hmm. doing this work, could Coca-Cola be my first client? And Lori, this is when I had tiny kids. They were one and two. Yeah. And I knew at that point I was more clear. I wanted flexibility. So I wanted to do the work that was important to me, but I didn't want to work five days a week and travel all around the world. I wanted to have more control over my time. So I got clarity about what it would look like to be an independent consultant. Then I got clarity eight years later that I and I had three kids at this point. I actually wanted to be part of building something bigger. So then I moved back into the publicly traded corporate world to build teams and organizations in the leadership space. So clarity emerged in stages mm. as my life throughout my, what I call current reality, like children being a massive change in current reality, right? Yes. Yes. I, such an important point, Jennifer, because I think sometimes we get bogged down by these big ideas. Like I would love to be CEO. I would love like, what's that aspirational goal for you? And we don't allow ourselves to just peek into that first step. What does that first next role look like from where I am today, not way down here 20 years from now when I have all of the expertise and qualifications to get that big position that I'm looking for? 
So I appreciate you sharing that with us. One of the questions that popped up for me while you were talking is to aspire to get in, to go through the process to eventually get to where you are today. I can't imagine that your inner critic came in to play somewhere in there in stages and phases of life. How do you advise others to tackle their inner critic when it comes up? I love that you raised the inner critic. It's actually one of the first chapters of the book because it is what what we at Linkage call the foundational or the uber hurdle that, look, we all face it across the spectrum of gender, also across generation and across no matter what form, gender, race, ethnicity, disability, we all face it. Though the inner critic of a woman is louder. Mm-hmm. And it can prevent us from taking action. And that's why we call it the Uber hurdle. It's one of the first things we address. And it's just for your listeners. It's that, mm-hmm. that voice in our head. It's that voice of judgment. Mm-hmm. And that voice of judgment can paralyze us. It can sound like, I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. I shouldn't. Ask that question. Ask for that raise. Take that job. Mm-hmm. So that voice of inner critic is with all of us our entire lives. The trick is becoming aware of it, mm-hmm. pausing, reflecting. And I'm going to give you a, cu- a couple of real examples. And then, and then finding compassion, compassion for yourself yeah. if your inner critic is pointed at you or others, because it can also be the voice of judgment toward others. Okay. So you asked a really important question. What do we do to, we never silence the inner critic. What do we do to quiet or calm the inner critic? So I'll give you two quick examples. When I was asked by a headhunter if I were, was interested in, in applying for the CEO job at Linkage. My first reaction, and I didn't, I wasn't aware of it quickly enough. My first reaction was, uh, I'm not ready for that job. Mm-hmm. I have to be groomed first. I have to be a number two. Mm-hmm. I've only been in publicly traded companies. You don't really manage everything down to the net income line in a publicly traded company. I, 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 my kids won't want me to do this because what kind of mother takes a job where you have to commute to Boston from DC. So all of this inner critic was actually paralyzing me from even putting my name in, in the ring. And I'm going to tell you how I overcome it. I, I overcame it. But I also want to say that it's this inner critic, fast forward five or six years, it just surfaced again. Why? It's new. It's uncomfortable. I'm a first-time author. So my inner critic was, who do you think you are? You're not a real author. You're asking your friends to support you. What if they hate the book? All of this kind of negative self-doubt was creeping in. So it's normal. It's natural at every stage in life. You're absolutely right. That inner critic pops in and it is the most aggressive when we are in that change and, and getting outside of our comfort zone. And part of that is our body's natural reaction, our mind wants to keep us safe. And you've never done this before, Jennifer. You've never written a book. And that's what your mind's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I write a book, like what? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have the thought patterns. I don't have that experience yet. And so our inner critic is there to protect us in such a way that often like at some point it's like we don't need it and so anymore right we don't need it anymore it was protected us before 
And so I'm curious if you would share the some of the things we can do at that point. Exactly. So the yeah. reason I told those two stories was to talk about two different approaches for, to to support you. So the the first story of the the CEO, I'm not ready and I uh, need to be groomed. It actually took the the important part about that is it's not that the inner critic is bad. It's if you're not aware of it and you don't pause, reflect, find compassion and get curious about it, it can paralyze you. Mm -hmm. It took a couple people in my support network. Now, in this case, they happened to be two men and they were peers of mine at my my former publicly traded companies. They also were looking at CEO jobs in the private equity space at portfolio companies. And as I was sharing with them, I'm not ready. I need to be groomed. I need to be a number two. They they kind of just sporadically staged an intervention and said, well, wait, wait a minute, Jennifer. If we think we're ready to be a CEO, why do you think you're not ready? It, it took that support structure. And again, it could be peers, it could be mentors or coaches to help me see that I actually, that inner critic was hurting me and mm-hmm. it was going to prevent me from taking the best job I've ever had if I listened to it. Okay, so that was an example of find your people right? Find the people Mm. who will support you and lift you up. Now, they equally could have said, you know what? You probably aren't ready, but here are the two or three things that you could do to become ready, which Mm -hmm. is what happened early in my Coca-Cola stage when I was shifting my career. Mm -hmm. So reach out to those people who will support you and lift you up. The second, and I think if you you want to focus on your own evolution to identify and quiet your inner critic, The second story I told about the book launch, when I was doing a lot of book promotion, there was one comment I got in a in a text that actually went to my husband. And the 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 text was, Your wife seems a little out of control with her book promotion, Imho, in in my humble opinion. And I was in a groove trying to find my way in this book promotion. And one text like that Mm -hmm. created Right in my inner critic that mm-hmm. almost stopped my work forward altogether. And it took me about an hour to understand what was happening. All of this self-doubt and self-criticism was coming from one text that I read on my husband's phone. But I became aware of it much faster. I paused. I reflected. Am I a real author? Yes, my name is on a book. Am I lacking confidence because this is the first time I've done that? Yes, that is true as well. So get curious. Well, what could I do now? And so what I did was I, I reached out to my support network to say, like, help me out here. This is how I'm feeling. And it was, we're here for you. We're buying multiple books. We're promoting you. I'm writing an Amazon review right now. And it kind of took me becoming really aware quickly. So you reduce the period of self-pity and, and wallowing mm-hmm. I love how you brought in the support network. And I don't think, particularly as women, there's this sense of we have to do it all by ourselves. Talk to me a bit about, if is that something you've seen in your, in your experience as well? And what can we do to sort of let go of that mindset and shift into a more of, it's okay to get support? So a couple things, and you're, I'm glad you're hitting on, on the... Inadvertently, you've hit on the three 
most significant hurdles that women face. So we talked about clarity. That's hurdle number Mm -hmm. two. Hurdle number one is called proving your value. And hurdle number three is making the ask. So I'm going to pull those two things together. Yeah. Proving your value is women especially tend to put their heads down, work harder and harder and harder, say yes to more and more. And it could be at work. It could be at home with the kids. It could be in the community to prove how good we are. And we are good. But the the faulty premise is that if I keep doing and doing and doing, and by the way, we have a perfectionist trap, which sometimes sounds like, and if I do it myself, it's just better. And regardless of whether that's true, it leads to burnout. It leads to this false premise that somebody's going to notice and give me something, money, promotion, accolades, respect. And that's a faulty premise because most of the time people won't notice. So what women need to do instead of doing more and more and saying yes to more and more is to get really clear about what we want. That goes back to the clarity Mm -hmm. and really selectively say yes to those things that will drive our passion and purpose and to delegate more and to let go and to inspire others to help. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, inspiring others means they'll do it differently. But in many cases, they'll even do it better if we let go and let them do that. And again, this is equally for spouses as it is Mm -hmm. for peers and direct reports at the office. Now, so that's the that's the proving your value piece. The making the ask piece, which is hurdle number three, is how do we actually leverage and activate our networks, whether it's inside the organization or outside, and make very specific asks? Women are very willing to give. So I say we're great at activating, we're we're great at giving to the network. We're less good at activating the network and asking for what it is that we want. Mm -hmm. So let me just pause there and see if you have any other follow-up or questions. No, this is great. These are the things that I really wanted to talk about. And so before we jump into activating the network, I'm curious a bit about this I can sense even for myself, there is a resistance to uh, delegating, saying no, prioritizing, (laughs) because I think we all believe it to be a good idea, but in actual implementation in practice, and it's likely a skill, so you have to sort of train that muscle. Uh, What is your advice for somebody's like, okay, I want to do this, but I can't seem to let go? Yeah. And look, since the focus of your of this podcast is for aspiring women in the professional corporate world, I will tell you, you cannot get to a senior level of leadership without mastering the science and the art of letting go, mm. of delegating, of inspiring others, of seeking support. So if in your mind you hear yourself saying, Oh, for gosh sakes, it's just it's just so much easier just to get it done and do it myself as opposed to teaching or telling or begging someone else to do it. I'll just do it myself. If you find yourself saying that more often than not, it's going to be really difficult for you to move up into greater positions of of authority and and Mm -hmm. management. And here's why. At some point, it gets completely impossible. There's no way that you can manage all of the details for everything. And so the sooner you get practice, and I'll give you a really specific example. Even in my own world about two years ago, 
we were getting ready to package and sell the company. I was very overwhelmed. We were, I was writing the book. We were running the company in the post-COVID environment and getting ready to sell the company. Strategic planning is something every executive does every single year mm-hmm. and many times, multiple times a year. And it's a process. And I, as the CEO, had run that process every single year at Linkage. I'm good at it. I have a process. It's worked in the past. It's not that hard for me. But I looked at it, and it's a lot. It's a lot of time and effort, right? Even facilitating the executive team on the process. I looked to my chief product officer who said, I'm actually really interested in running the strategic planning process. It's a capability that I want to build. And I know that you're a little overwhelmed and a lot of the other initiatives. Would it be okay if I ran the process? And my first thought was, well, the CEO should really run the strategic planning process. And immediately when I found myself saying that, it was, oh my gosh, Kristen, of course you should run the process because this is the next level of your development and it takes it off of my plate and maybe you're going to innovate in ways that I hadn't even imagined. And she did. The document looked a little different. The process looked a little different, but the output was just as good, if not better, than any of the processes I had run. So that's a really tangible example. Mm-hmm. But, and I had to yeah. let her do it, even if it wasn't exactly the way I did it. I'm glad you shared that example because it makes it real, right? And you're absolutely right. Sometimes we have to to get through to why do I need to do something? In this case, we're talking about letting go of tasks, processes, things that are, you know, bogging us down and getting really clear around why that is important. And that's what you brought in. Like, you're going to need to master this skill to move to the next level. And that's important if that's what you aspire to do. It's also important if you aspire to have more time and space in your, in your, day-to-day job to actually be great at the position that you're assigned to do and and not get bogged down in the details. And and actually, for some reason, and this is especially true for women, it has become some kind of status symbol to talk about how busy we are all the time. And so when when women especially come to me, and and, and, and I often will say things like, well, let's just look a couple years down the road. If you are wildly successful in your career and how you're leveraging career as one critical aspect of the totality of your life, paint a picture of what success looks like. And more often than not, women will say, well, I just haven't had any time to think about that. I mean, I'm so busy doing my current work and life and mom and community. I I can't think about the future. And my response to that is always, I'm really sad to hear that because it's such a disservice to you, because we want to help you. We, leaders, friends, supporters, the universe, we want to help you conspire to get all that you want and to be all that you can be. But if you're so busy that you can't even think about what your future looks like, Mm -hmm. then you, in essence, are making a decision that your current reality is your vision, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want to move away, especially women, from this, oh my gosh, I'm so busy as some kind of status symbol. It's actually not. And I'm looking at my calendar now as I transition. Actually, I'm transitioning out of the CEO role of linkage into the next CEO role across the next several months. 
I have this spaciousness on my calendar and I'm noticing how uncomfortable it is. Yes, it is. I'm trying to shift my perspective to what a gift to have spaciousness. Mm -hmm. How am I going to leverage that spaciousness to gain clarity and to exercise and to reflect and maybe to do nothing? (laughs) It's not comfortable for us. No, no, we're the, especially women, we like to feel like we have everything under control. So we're very used to juggling like five balls at once. And, and so it is very uncomfortable to have space, especially in this digital day and age where every single moment is taken up by other people's demands and pop-ups and email messages, notifications and social medias. And it's like, I forgot when I had a chance just to sit and breathe for a few minutes and pause, right? And so I, I definitely think it's not only a skill, but what I found for myself, and I'm also leaning into this this year in an intentional way, and my intentionality is coming through in creating those moments of pause and mm-hmm. before I start something. And it, so it's, it is a bit uncomfortable because I like to just stop something and dive right into the next thing without thought right? Okay, this is the next thing on my list. I'm pulling it right up. And, and now I'm taking a moment and say, okay, what am I trying to accomplish with this? Does it still yeah. make sense to do? And kind of going through the process instead of just mindly jumping in. And I yeah. found it to be quite useful so far. You're, you're raising a, a couple things. I, I want to, I'm going to get back to how do you actually make those choices? And it sounds like you are doing it very intentionally. But before I tell you that, in addition to, yes, women are multitaskers, we're great jugglers. And in fact, we, we are mostly. But there's this, if we're really honest with ourselves, if we are multitasking while we're also trying to be present with our kids or we're doing the reverse with our staff mm-hmm. and we're trying to like check an email or it's you hear the, the, the dings coming in. I was with two CEOs yesterday, women CEOs of Fortune 15 companies. Can I tell you something? I spent 90 minutes with them. They had no cell phones on the table. Mm -hmm. They were completely present with me. It felt like I was the only thing that mattered to them. This was a really important conversation about a potential job for me. And these women are running multi-billion dollar organizations and it's all public. They make 20 plus million dollars a year themselves. And I'm thinking to myself, They are making me feel like I'm the only person that matters to them in this moment. Do I make people feel that way? Whether again, it's at home, in the office, Mm -hmm. or in the community. So I want to just offer that up because this this false pretense of multitasking does have consequences. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now onto the other thing. Well, how the heck do we decide what to do, what not to do, what to say no to? And there is a framework in the book under that proving your value concept that we just talked about. And, and I think, again, there's this false notion that, well, everything we do is so important. What could I possibly let go of? And so we actually, we have an exercise in the book that says, look at your calendar. It can be a day, a week, or a month. And start to categorize what, how you are spending your time. It can be at the office, outside the office. And there are four categories. And it's, it's actually not rocket science. There are some things that you can easily consult or advise on, but you don't have to do. 
And mm-hmm. so for me, an example of that was the strategic planning process. It wasn't that I wasn't part of it. It's just I wasn't running it day to day across mm-hmm. the course of this. Actually, like a six-month process. The second thing is, what do you actually let go of altogether? And so I realized, like a very specific example, we have a massive Women in Leadership Institute. Thousands of women come, really like top name speakers come. And I had been involved in the selection of the speakers and the selection of the award winners. And what I realized is my team was so good at that, that me showing up at those meetings was just extraneous. They didn't really need me. So I pulled myself out of those meetings. If you need me, let me know, but I don't need to be in these meetings anymore. I just let it go. The third thing is, yeah, you got to do it, but you don't have to use a lot of mental power to do it. So for me, staff one-on-ones and performance reviews and expense reports, but all those things are really important. But I don't have to do them at 120%. It's not hard yeah. for me to show up to a one-on-one. I don't need a ton of prep. Then there's the last category. And that's the one where I want to spend most of my time. And those are the things that I uniquely have to do because nobody else can do them. Mm-hmm. And there's a small list. Authoring the book became yeah. a critical priority. Selling the company. These are things that I cannot delegate. I cannot let go yeah. of. But they were, so I had a post, I had four post-it notes above my desk the entire year last year. I actually do it every year. And I'm getting clarity on it for this year. If it didn't align to one of those four things, I had to question, why am I doing it? Mm-hmm. So it was just a real visible. All right, so I'm rambling. I'm going to stop. <laughs> no, no, that's really great. I mean, at some point, hearing the practical tools can be so useful for somebody like, that wants to do it but doesn't know exactly how to execute it. So I, I appreciate that, Jennifer. And I, I want to jump back to our earlier conversation where we were about to talk about how we can tap into our network. And we talked briefly about how typically women aren't super great at actually tapping into their network and and, and going out and getting the support that they need. Can you tell us a bit about how we can start to get better at that? Yeah. And and, and look, networking has changed a lot across the course of my career. So for women of your generation, it's you're welcome. Because it used to be, no, I think it was this big, scary thing where you'd have to show up at these really awkward events. I mean, maybe they were on the golf course or in bars, but oftentimes they were in big conference rooms. And look, mm-hmm. all that stuff still exists. But more and more, especially within in this LinkedIn and the digital era, and COVID actually helped this a lot. Yeah. It's women are actually exceptional at building relationships, making introductions, receiving introductions, spending time with new people. So that's not the issue. And I call that curating a network. The issue is in activating the network. So when I'm clear about what I want, who, and, and I'll use another very specific, specific example from my own career right now, getting on a private and a public board at this stage in my career is really important to me. Mm-hmm. So starting a couple of years ago, I started to look at inside my organization, outside my organization, with my board of directors, I just started having conversations. So. How might I go about getting on a private and public board? What's the process? Who's really good at it? Mm-hmm. How do I network into it? And so I started activating my network to help me achieve that goal. So I think for women, it's based on what I want. That's that clarity piece. Who inside the organization or outside the organization? And in the book, we've got a, an exercise that categorizes network in a number of different areas. Is it 
Is it a career career focused? Is it part of your strategic network? Is it is, is it personal? So think about everyone in your network and then ask the question, what do I need? Not what can I offer? That's really mm-hmm. important. Reciprocity in a network. But let me tell you something. That's not where women have problems. Women give and give and give. Mm-hmm. I want the selfish focus of, but what can I receive? So when I ask women to go tap the network and make an ask, they often say, I can't, I can't ask for that. They're too busy. It's too self-serving. Yeah. And then I flip it and say, oh, that's interesting. Well, if they ask you to do that or to make a connection or ask for the business, would you do it for them? Oh, ab- oh absolutely. We have no trouble giving. We have a lot more trouble asking. It's so true, Jennifer. <laughs> I had all those thoughts, too, with my network. Like, they're busy even to reach out. And it's like we we often self-select out of so much because we decide, we make assumptions on other people or circumstances that aren't true. And so, and that stop us in our tracks from getting to where we want to be. And so I, I appreciate that. The, this idea of it's okay to be a little bit, quote unquote, selfish. Absolutely. And women are kind of, they're stuck with what, what the, we call internal bias. Mm-hmm. We've got these biases that we're holding, beliefs we hold about ourselves that may not be serving us. So for me, it, it was, I can't be a good mom and be a CEO. Or it's, I can't make the ask of, of, another, of a CEO like a for, uh, the former CEO, like Alan Mulally, and, and you and I just talked about that, the former mm-hmm. CEO of Boeing, which is yeah. your alma mater. I, I had an internal bias of, I can't possibly make an ask of someone as important as Alan Mulally because he's too busy. And if you catch yourself, it's kind of like that inner critic. If you can catch yourself in the, what is preventing me from taking action? Is it an internal bias? Is it a belief that I'm holding that may not be serving me? So when I finally did make the ask to Alan Mulally, who, by the way, has mentored me for four years as I've been the CEO of Linkage in helping instill the management processes and systems that he used at Boeing and Ford. Now, Linkage is much smaller than Boeing or Ford, but Alan took the time Mm -hmm. to mentor me through the process he used. Why? Because he believed in me, but because I took the risk and made the ask. He didn't even know who I was when I approached him at a conference and asked him if he would be willing to guide me through the processes he used at Boeing and Ford. Wow. What a story. I, I, I can't even imagine getting into the headspace of making an ask like that. And you know what? It's, it's a success story because he said yes. And I think what, what happens a lot of the time is we assume a no. And then we don't even try. But there's, if we do try, there's always a possibility of a yes. And so we're just opening up. That you said that. It is 100% true that if you don't make the ask, you will not get what you want. And and I'd actually like to challenge a little bit. You said it was a success story because he said yes. I would actually say it would have been a success story even if he had said no. And why is that? Because the more you gain practice mm-hmm. and courage at mm-hmm. making the ask, the better you get. And 
And I'll give you another example that the two CEOs that I was talking to yesterday about a potential job, it's not a foregone conclusion that I want the job and certainly not a foregone conclusion that I will get the job. But I know that going through this process is going to make me a better CEO, business leader, connector, even getting access to them as part of my network. And it's going to make me a better person. I'm not sure if it's going to be a success in terms of me getting the role or accepting the role, but the process is already successful. Yes. Thank you for interjecting that because it is so true that it's the learning through the journey and becoming the person we need to be through practice is is almost the mo- more important than the actual prize at the end of of the rainbow or whatever it is that you want to call it. And you're right, it was successful because you asked and you got that experience asking. And I bet you'll be a little quicker next time to even ask because of that experience that you had. So all of these hurdles that I write about in the book and the things we're talking about today, they all get better with practice. And I'll go back to where we, we started with that clarity story. And I said, when I asked women, what they want, they, they answer really in one of two ways. One, you, usually. One is, I'm just so busy. We, we mm-hmm. talked about that. Yeah. So I, I don't possibly have time for it. But the other one is actually even more tragic, in my opinion. And they say, I'm actually afraid to put it out there. Mm. Because if I put it out there and I don't get it, isn't it worse than not putting it out there at all? And that kind of just comes full circle to what we were just talking about. And, and if, you, if you approach work we're talking about really life with the mindset of it's actually not the destination of if I don't get it, is it a travesty? It's the, but what have I learned along the way? And and who have I amassed with me in the form of network and supporters and allies and sponsors? and, and, and And even if it's not quote unquote successful in how I thought it was going to be at the beginning, usually something better is going to happen. And I think we're going to close out there, Jennifer. I can't emphasize enough that our our perceived failures are often openings to even greater success for us in other ways and where we need to be. And I'd love for you to share with the audience where they could connect with you, buy your book, learn more about your work. First of all, I would love you to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Jennifer Shear McCollum. And I am really good if you connect with me and we can talk back and forth on LinkedIn chat. And you can buy the book anywhere. The easiest place to get it is on Amazon. And I just, can I just brag for a moment? Because it just happened yesterday. I found out that I, we, this book received the awards called the OWL Award, the Outstanding Work in Literature for Women in Business. It was the number one book selected by BookPal, an organization who rates books. Yesterday, I just learned that. Congratulations, Jennifer. That is so great. That is so great. Well, I really appreciate your time, your wisdom, and sharing in a vulnerable way your experiences through the book and through our conversation. I, I appreciate this so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. This is very much on purpose, on mission for me. So thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, I would love for you to subscribe. If you're already a subscriber, 
don't forget to share the podcast with a friend. Make sure to tune in next week. We'll be speaking with Charlie Garnham about how we can use human design to unlock our authentic self. I hope you have an amazing week. It's your time to shine. Bye.